You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 289, we're discussing comic book movie multiverses, Venom, and Star Wars Visions. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And it's just the two of us. You got your Cap and Cap team up. No longer Cap and Falcon. This is Cap and Cap. And I'm excited, man. I'm excited for you and I to run through another crazy, wild week. And we've got a good discussion here to kind of change things up a little later on in the episode. Yeah, man. It's gonna be uh, stepping into that beyond space a little, uh, a little more fervor than we have the last couple of weeks with all this Marvel goodness coming down. So yes. yeah, should be good. Yes, very excited. And like I said at the top, there we're gonna be talking about comic book movie multiverse. We're gonna be debating, discussing, and tossing back and forth some concepts, some ideas about what could happen beyond Spider-Man: No Way Home. What could happen beyond maybe Venom or inside of Venom that is coming up here this week? Carlos has got his tickets. He's taking the hit for me because I'm not exactly jumping into that. And we've got our first reviews, kind of reviews, on the table here, which we're going to discuss. And we're also going to talk about Star Wars Visions. It's this brand new style coming into the Star Wars universe, anime style. And the first, or all the episodes, I should say, dropped. And we've consumed a couple of them. And we're going to talk about them just at a high level. We're going to have, actually, a standalone episode in a couple of weeks where we run through all of that with a very special guest to help us lead through the anime and into the Star Wars universe using that form of visual storytelling. We're also going to talk about Tadam, a virtual conference put on by Netflix that runs down some of their highlights for the remainder of the year and into 2022, including Stranger Things, Cobra Kai, Witcher, Sandman, and even a new Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You know how much we support him here. Here. New movie coming onto Netflix there. But there's so much to talk about there. And at the end, guys, we're going to get into our Weeks in Nerd, where we're going to talk about some plastic. It's been it's been a heavy few weeks. And for me, I can tell you, it continues. McFarlane's got a new wave out, of course. So we're going to sum all that up a little later on in the episode. But we're going to jump straight into the news here with This Week in Nerd. This Week in Nerd is our weekly news segment where we discuss the latest and greatest from the world of nerd. And we're going to kick this week off with Tadum. You know that sound that you hear at the start of every Netflix show and movie you watch? Tadum? That is what this conference was. I had no idea that this was an actual thing. It just popped up trending on Twitter. I clicked on it, and here I am watching Stranger Things clips, Cobra Kai clips, Witcher clips. This was a pretty cool event that flew under my radar. Carlos, were you at all aware that this was happening and we were actually getting content? I believe it was this past Saturday. Yeah, I was aware of it because obviously my my Witcher love runs deep as does <laughs> my love of, of the Sandman. So between all the fan accounts and official accounts for both those two properties, I was aware that it was coming. Obviously, my hype level wasn't as high as uh, something like Fandom. But uh, I, I was curious to see what they were going to bring with this event. So I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you. I didn't watch it live. I watched it on their replay, which is still on Netflix's YouTube page. But uh, yeah, it was. It, they did a good job of it for what it was. You, you could certainly see that their inspiration was what uh, 
DC had done with fandom last year. Very much so. (laughs) The framing, the camera work, the hosting, the way they threw two individuals that had pre-taped stuff. Like this wasn't a live event. This was all happening probably weeks, if not months ago that this was recorded and they've dropped in via green screen, the visuals and also the trailers once they were cut. Yeah, no, it was pretty funny. Some of the transitions or some of the the green screens where they cut the, around the actors a little too close. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. And yeah, <laughs> it made me chuckle. I imagine that Dwayne Johnson just has a green room in his basement that he goes in to record stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. He does. He has to, he has to. <laughs> so what throughout this Tadam event here, we got some new looks at some of our favorite shows that are coming back to that platform, both within 2021 and also as we get into 2022, the first one, the one that I'm probably most excited about here is Stranger Things. Season four is coming sometime in 2022. They didn't give an exact release date, but they did show what is their third teaser clip. Now, this is a little different than they've done in the past, I believe, with Stranger Things is they've shown three separate clips kind of framing out a bit of what's going to happen with the heroes, if I can call them that, with the kids inside of Stranger Things. They haven't shown us like a full trailer, which is a little different, where you're getting clips from various episodes throughout the season. I'm stoked about season four. This is a show that I found almost by accident. It's not usually something that I get into, given that it has a real horror element layered on top of it. But the nostalgia side of things and the Goonie-like kids is what really drew me in. And I'm absolutely in love with this. And I can't wait to see what they have next year. But... They're ratcheting it up. There's a lot of intrigue, a lot of mystery in this one. Carlos, is is Stranger Things something that you're into? Is this something you're excited for, given also what's on tap in the next few months and within inside of 2022? Yeah, Stranger Things is a little lower on my radar, but uh, I came into this one via the, the upside down, so to speak. It was my daughter that became like this Stranger Things super fan, and she convinced my wife and I to watch it. And um, yeah, we watched it, really, really enjoyed it. It's a totally quality program. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where they take things. I, I do feel, and very much so after season three, that it's kind of running out of mm-hmm. road. And that they need to maybe wrap it up. But I was pleasantly surprised to see things like they've leaned into the fact that the kids are all older now and they look to be at a different place in life and whatnot. But uh, yeah, um, I'm interested to see how much more mileage they can get out of this story. For me, as just a casual fan, I I think that it's a pretty finite endeavor. But I'm sure that there's a a legion of folks out there that are like, nope, we want 10 seasons of Stranger Things. So. Well, and it's it's funny you say that because there are shows that run their course within that three to fourth season window. And once you get beyond that, you grow tired of it. You don't like it anymore. You don't get as anticipated for it. And so there's that always that objective of ending on a high, I think, mm-hmm. with these shows. And the pressure I do feel that a lot of these streaming services come under is they've got a hit show. They've got a cast. They've got to get eyeballs on things almost perpetually. And so you end up inside of this cycle where you're just throwing seasons, you're throwing almost now a brand at it, and it's maybe not as quality. I'm hoping that this gets a, well, it's definitely got a season four, but maybe just a season five to wrap it up, if they leave this one on a big cliffhanger. But I do agree with you that the show is going in a bit of a circle now. It's how much more can you do with this? How much more intrigue? And I think they left you on enough of a cliffhanger at the end of season three to give this season four 
enough meat to chew on, but I'm curious as to where they go. I do agree with you that these things can run their course. Yeah, it's kind of like The Walking Dead, right? Like yes. that was a really special show and I couldn't watch it fast enough when I was getting caught up and it was appointment TV. Like it was that thing aired and it was a matter of how fast could you get in front of the mm-hmm. set to watch it to the point where it's like I have zero interest yeah. in watching Which is a shame. how this thing ends out. And yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for going out on top and having just a story to tell and putting forth a finely crafted and well-tuned curated tale, right? Like it's something like Breaking Bad or The Wire where mm. you just have this flawless piece of work that gets to live on forever yeah. as opposed to kind of just fizzling out. Mm-hmm. And speaking about that exact concept, but potentially ending, I'm not sure where this show is going, but I know I'm going to be tuning in on December 31st, 2021, New, Year- New Year's Eve, Cobra Kai season four. This show feels like it's coming to a natural conclusion with season four. I'm not sure if that's exactly where it's going, but New Year's Eve, man, I'm there for it. Are you, you plug it in the same as me? Yeah, like I'm not a binge guy at all. Like it's usually a, a two episode max, but I think it was last year when Cobra Kai season two dropped. I watched the entire thing in like a day. I could not watch it fast enough. Like it just, there's just some kind of magic to the show and I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it's because the episodes are just the right length that mm-hmm. they trick you into watching another one and another one. But yeah, I I love that show. It's not something I expected to like, but it's it's probably one of my favorite things on their service, Cobra Kai. So yeah, I'm excited and I think it's going in some interesting places. I love it too. And I was never a karate kid guy. I never I don't have this nostalgic connection to that character to those movies. I've seen them all years, decades ago. Mm-hmm. But I got was it season three or season four that's coming out? Was that mistaken there? Season three is coming and they've greenlit four. Okay. Okay, so it seems like they've got a path there. So I mistakenly said I think season four was this season. But no, season three, I was the same way. Season two dropped, and I binged all the way through both seasons within a week or so's time. I just gobbled this up. And, you know, there's parts of it that are so cheesy, but it it almost complements the films that were in the 80s and 90s and that. It complements them so well that it makes this feel like a cohesive universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I truly can't put my finger on what the appeal is. Agreed. Because <laughs> the karate, it, it, it's interesting, but it's not something like John Wick where you're just, like, fascinated mm-hmm. and sucked into it. And the acting is very kind of 90s sitcom-y. For sure. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but, yeah, we're not the only two based on all the Cobra Kai t-shirts floating around out there that... Uh, I've really been sucked into this one. Oh, yeah, I can't. I can't wait, man. When it was announced as coming inside of 2021, I was like, "Is this the best year ever, 2021 for for content?" And it's really streaming services propping so much up. And so my my family's got to put up with me counting down to the new year, watching people kick each other in the face <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> now, a couple other shows that must be on your radar that they did preview at Tadum was Witcher Season 2 and Sandman. Talk to me about these two properties. I'm unfamiliar with them both, but I do know that you are, and as you stated, you're a Witcher guy. And the Sandman, it's got a lot of focus. You know, we talked about it last year at 
I believe fandom, they had some content Mm -hmm. and there was a recent audio drama, I believe Sandman. So this character or that property, Neil Gaiman property has got a lot of focus in the last couple of years. And I watched the trailer. It's pretty scary. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that Sandman is scary per se. It probably falls somewhere in that stranger things vein. Um, Cause it's not really a, a horror property, but man, to just listen to Neil Gaiman talk and he's, um, and it was interesting because the main thing that was going through my mind is I read an interview with him where he was saying once he committed to doing the show with Netflix and he was confident they were going to do it right. And he's intimately working with them and he's, he felt that there was something very transitory in that this is going to be the first time that there'll be a generation of folks that experience the Sandman for the first time disconnected from the comic books and that mm-hmm. this is going to be a whole new version of it. And then he kind of talked about the showrunners and the people uh, crafting the world doing such a good job that he, those fears were alleviated for him because the things that existed only in his mind were now in three dimensions and going to hit the screen. So it starts off and he's talking about that and, I, and he's getting me excited. And I had read those interviews and stuff. And then he introduces the actor that's playing morpheus and to see the reverence in that kid's face and Mm -hmm. to hear his voice i was just like shoot they've picked the perfect actor to play him and he had pretty big shoes to fill because like obviously i have morpheus in my head from reading the books and then the audio drama james mcavoy played him Mm -hmm. and it was incredible like i used to go for just these long walks through like the nature preserve by my house. And there'd be times like I'd almost get turned around cause you're just so lost in the <laughs> magic of his voice. It was, is pretty cool. And so uh, to have this actor step up and he's like, I'm Morpheus and to, I bought in right away. And that was even before seeing him in the short clip that they played with Charles Dance, um, performing the ritual in mm-hmm. which they, capture him which is how the comic started off and uh, how we meet dream and to have him and he's got his helm and the helm looks ripped straight out of dave mckean's drawings and oh man like i i'm not one to get emotional about stuff but i was just like i was overcome a little bit like i I actually rewound that a couple times because it was just it was so surreal to actually see these things that i had read and then obviously i had the images from the books and when you listen to the audio drama you can kind of have them play out in a three-dimensional space in your mind play out to see it so perfectly realized by the folks at Netflix. I was blown away. Like I am unbelievably excited to see where they take this thing. And I'm glad that them and Warner brothers DC have a bit of a relationship. Cause I'm hoping there's a few cool little things that they did in the Sandman where the DC universe actually it's, exists in the background of the whole world okay. and very rarely um, to kind of play with things a little bit. Like there's a story that takes place and it just happens in Gotham city, but it has nothing to do with Batman and any characters that, you know, but um, the main character kind of escapes from Arkham Asylum. And so there's a little uh, nod to something little t- a little bigger. Yeah. To show that it's in a, in a bigger world. Right. And there's a time I won't spoil anything, but there's, later on in the in this series is a gathering in the dreaming 
and all these characters from William Shakespeare to uh, characters from his books and through all this different lore show up, but like Batman and Superman are there because <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to be and they're in the dreaming kind of thing. So yeah, it's uh it's cool stuff and it's just such a rich world. And then they introduced the young lady that's playing death and there's a bit of hand wringing over her casting, but she sold me right away. She's got that energy and she really, the, the way that they've written death in the books is very unique. She's kind of spunky and um, she just almost got a charisma to her where it's like, she should be the worst thing that anybody would want to face, but she's just so charming that, people kind of want to go with her. It's so very much a departure from the traditional Grim Reaper mm-hmm. type idea of, of what death would be. And so I thought that her casting was perfect as well because she might not have the look of what they had in the drawings, but just her energy and her delivery and the way she carried herself, I was like, perfect. She is perfection. So yeah, man, I'm pretty excited about I all the tell. places I that can they tell. take this thing. Yeah. <laughs> You've got me more excited. At the start of this conversation, I had watched a trailer I got a little bit of jitters, and I wasn't overly interested. But here we are, three or four minutes later, and I'm, I'm, I'm sold on the concept of it. Yeah, man, and I'm super curious to see how uh, how you receive it and how you digest it, because you're going to be one of those people mm-hmm. that Guyman was talking about, where it's like you, um, you experience the Sandman for the very first time in a live action format. So, yeah. I don't know. It'll it'll be cool, man. It'll be Looking cool. Looking forward to it. Looking forward yeah. to it. And, and Witcher, you you have you have a little experience in this uh, in this realm, if you will. Dude. <laughs> and here we got season two dropping on December seventeenth. Man, you're gonna have a busy December. <laughs> oh, I know. It's gonna be like never ending. Never like I'm gonna be just planted in front of my TV and run into the theater to watch Spider Man. But yeah, the Witcher season two shoot like they. You can tell that Netflix recognized that they had something special with the reception to that first season and how interested the fan base was. They killed it with the Nightmare of the Wolf anime that they put out a few weeks ago and The Witcher season two. Like they've held everything pretty close to the chest, but what they have showed has been perfection. Oh, like the scope of it from that trailer and me coming into it. I haven't watched season one. I'm not familiar with the lore, I'm not familiar with the character. I watched this trailer and I was blown away on how big and how good it looked. Even the design of some of the characters that are are not human, like that's mm-hmm. straight from a theater. Like there's there's no no line I don't think at least I can see between this and your Game of Thrones or your theater esque type of of what do you call this? I don't know. It's not really swords and sandals, but it's kind of in that knights and swords sort of realm, right? Yeah, like for a fantasy movie, it's right there shoulder to shoulder with what Game of Thrones gave us and Mm -hmm. what Lord of the Rings gave us. And like maybe not on that epic scale, but at the same time, like you go into Geralt's world and some of those things that he's like the characters that he's interacting with and the way they're shooting this thing. And it's no different than those scenes you have of Aragorn in the the taverns and stuff like that. And yeah, no, I, I love the look of it. I love the vibe, the... The fact that they gave Cavill just enough leash to make Geralt his own character, but he fits in this beautiful spot between kind of how he's written in the books and how he is in the video games. And yeah, it it just got such a neat feel to it and that they're 
going to really bring everybody into the world of The Witcher, I think, a lot more cleanly than the first season did because the first season had a few funky timeline things that people didn't quite clue into until like the back end of the season. And I was certainly one of them. And the fact that Netflix had to put out a little timeline app to help people <laughs> negotiate their way through speaks to the fact that it was a bit of a, a creative choice that folks didn't latch on to. But uh, with this, that they're taking you to care more and, and that you're going to be able to immerse yourself in the lore of the Witcher and you will get caught up to speed with Siri at the same time because she'll be your POV, POV character through it. And, uh, man, I, I'm just, I'm so excited. And I just love, like, like maybe I have this kind of lone, like, lone cub and wolf type of thing because, like, Geralt and Siri and the Mando and Grogu and Batman and Robin, like, <laughs> it's just it's just my vibe. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm loving everything I'm seeing from this. And, like, I was always excited for The Witcher season two. Like, I was in the bag no matter what. But that trailer skyrocketed it to, like, mm -hmm. if I had to choose and I was only allowed to watch one of Spider-Man No Way Home or The Witcher season two, like, I... I think I picked The Witcher. Wow. Like, no disrespect to my boy Spidey, but like that trailer just took me to all those places that I love in that lore. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a treat. And like, I got to give Netflix credit. Like they, they kind of trust the material and they seem to really be trying to give fans what they want with both the Sandman and with The Witcher. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes for sure. But yeah, I think, I think everybody's in for a treat with this one, both people that are familiar with what they're doing and uh, people that are just experiencing it through the Netflix show. Yeah, it's got me intrigued. It's another one of these things that until I watched that trailer, season two trailer, it's a three-minute trailer. It's a substantial amount of footage that they're showing from what I'm assuming is across a relatively broad set of episodes. And it sold me on what it's doing. It, like you said, I think the Lord of the Rings vibe. I, I didn't go all the way through Game of Thrones, but it did have a real Lord of the Rings adjacent sort of vibe to it, which I was I was digging. So I don't know. They've got quite a set here of, of TV shows for us. These are kind of some of their main pillars for the end of this year into 2022. And they've also got Red Notice, Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds, three characters that we talk about on here quite a bit because they are so heavily involved in the comic book movie world. But to put them three of them together and they showed a great clip. I, I, to be honest with you, you can say what you want about those type of movies, but red notice is going to be the perfect Friday night cold. I'm going to sit down and watch this laugh at the interaction between Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot and, and consume the action all at the same time. To me, it's, it's a perfect Friday at home, sit down and watch type of netflix movie yeah and it's the type of movie that we don't get anymore right mm -hmm. like years gone by we'd be going to the theater to see uh, a rush hour movie like that yeah. or a lethal weapon movie or uh, even something like charlie's angels and they just simply don't make movies like that anymore because they're not sure bets without an ip and uh they're big money projects so that netflix is you know, paid the fare and we get to watch this Hollywood movie yes. <laughs> with three of the biggest stars going from the comfort of your living room under the umbrella of your existing subscription. Yeah. Sign me up. And like, 
you know my wife, so you know that there is <laughs> no choice but to watch a movie that stars Gal Gadot and The Rock. Yeah, in it, come so. on, she's living the oh. dream. <laughs> oh, I know. Like that that trailer did the same things for her. I think that the Sandman did for me. <laughs> <laughs> the emotions, the love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, wicked man, it's today. It was a cool event. I watched most of it live. We got a lot of great first looks. A lot of information about some of these really awesome properties that we've already fallen in love with and seeing the follow-up seasons, the continuation of the stories and of characters that we've come to love. All, like you said, I love the way you just put it all under the umbrella of a platform that we've all been paying for really since it got big, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so it's at no additional cost to us. And we get all this amazing content. Gotta love a streaming service, man. <laughs> Yeah, like, and even just some of the other things that I didn't expect, like an extraction two mm-hmm. and a follow up to the old guard, yeah. which was cool. Like, I re- I really loved the first old guard. I was I was shocked to see that there's an extraction two, and I almost want like the the antagonist from the movie to be the star of the next mm-hmm. one because he was more interesting than Hemsworth's character, to be honest with you. But yeah, you need Chris because he's the star, I guess. Oh yeah, give me some. Thor, a little bits and pieces of that. Yeah, it's awesome, right? And that's, that's just stuff that's on the sidelines, <laughs> which is amazing. There are those type of movies that you're scrolling through Netflix. What am I going to watch? Oh, what is this? Boom, on it goes. <laughs> well, I know. And if you're into it, you get Tiger King season two. Oh, yeah. Totally forgot about that. That's what <laughs> saved us the first part of the pandemic, man. The early, early 2020, I guess, March, April, whenever that came out, I definitely was watching it. <laughs> Oh really? I never, I never saw it, but I, I was certainly fascinated by just what a cultural phenomenon that it was. And it was purely the timing it came out at. It was absurd, and it was probably something I usually wouldn't tune into. But we were stuck in a space where sports had disappeared, movie theaters had disappeared, streaming services, Disney Plus weren't where they're at even now because they were mm-hmm. just getting on their feet, and it was for the most part a library. And a lot of the services were like that. Netflix was the only one that had this jump start, but they were stuck in this weird void where Tiger King was the newest thing to come out and everyone was locked in their homes for <laughs> a month, month and a half, whatever it was at the start of this. So it just became a thing. All our friends were talking about it. It's when we we're doing the Zoom calls with everyone, trying to make sure we kept the social circles up. And Tiger King was something that people were like, yeah, we're watching it. And so, oh shoot, we want to, I don't want to be sitting back on the Zoom call I gotta watch Tiger King now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? And to be honest, like it's, it's been ridiculous for a long time. <laughs> it's, it's it's ridiculous, man. It's not quality TV, but it's garbage TV. But it's entertaining TV. <laughs> so hey, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing no. wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily we're in a space here that a lot of the streaming service has has caught up and and paced up with Netflix now and are producing new and really great content on almost a weekly basis. And this past week on Disney Plus, we saw Star Wars Visions drop. Now we've chronicled this over the last couple of episodes, so we're not gonna go into too much detail as to what it is, but let's talk about our high level thoughts on Star Wars Visions, this new type of storytelling, visual medium of anime, expanding the Star Wars universe non-canonically, allowing the freedom to tell original stories with a visual medium that hasn't been done a lot in Star Wars and where some of Star Wars even takes inspiration from. Now, I didn't watch 
all the episodes. I watched the first two or what I thought were the first two. And I'm curious as to, to where you're sitting on this one, Carlos. Star Wars Visions is different. It was a almost binge style of drop on Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. which deviates away from the episodic release that we have been seeing with everything from Disney+, Plus since its inception. And it's in Star Wars. This is our, our holdover from Bad Batch to Book of Boba Fett. Here we are back in the Star Wars universe with something that is a little skewed from what we're used to. Yeah, no, it was uh, certainly an off-the-beaten-path type release, and and I'm not usually one to seek out anime offerings. I, I respect what they do, but um, it's just never been something that I've had a ton of exposure to. Uh, and when I have, like the infamous Street Fighter Alpha series, uh, it, it hasn't been my cup of tea. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, like you said, we get something that's... Star Wars, but isn't necessarily canon. Mm-hmm. And having watched uh, more than half of it, I'm almost disappointed that they didn't embrace it a bit more because the episodes that we got were so tangentially connected to characters that we know and wouldn't affect really anything with the greater story. For the most part, there's a couple or at least one that comes to mind where I'm like, ah, somebody would have known about what was happening here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was interesting because I, I made a comment to my daughter actually tonight as we were watching it, and she's the big Star Wars fan in our house. And um, and she's like, it's not canon, just kind of mockingly. And we had a discussion about just being precious about canon because I'm like, well, why not? Like, why not just let it exist? And if you choose to draw from some of these cool ideas and concepts that they've introduced in these animes then do it and if you don't then they can just exist within uh the bubble of this anime episode and yeah i think it's a bit of a missed opportunity to not um give it a little more credibility is a bit of a bad word but at the same time like, like i think it would be more impactful if Star Wars Visions was entrenched in that world mm-hmm. and you can use it as much or as little as you want. Like who cares? Nothing's going to break in your house because this thing is canon or it's <laughs> not canon. It's like, um, like the mate, the animatrix and Batman Gotham Knights, like technically they take place between matrix two and, or one and two, I think. And certainly Gotham Knight was between begins and the dark Knight. Like, did Bruce Wayne have a suit with a gyrosphere in it that deflected bullets? <laughs> yeah, probably not. But that doesn't. Have, but there's other stories that I'm like, hey, that would be cool if that's how uh, this played out in that world of Gotham City kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think yeah, they did a good job of it, and I, I think they should, you know, maybe play with some of these concepts if they want and say, yeah, maybe it does exist. It's a galaxy far, far away. Who knows what's going on? Exactly. And it's a big galaxy. <laughs> a lot going on. And and for me, I'm kind of sitting in the same camp as you. I'm not a, an anime person guy, whatever you want to call it, fan, I will say. And it's not because, of, like you said, I don't. it's not that I don't appreciate it. It's just something that is not. I'm not into. It's not for me. And that's okay. There's a lot of people that really enjoy it and a lot of people that enjoy the presentation, the storytelling. But I watched The Duel, which I believe is the first one. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. 
the yeah. the sound design on it is incredible. If you have the opportunity, watch it with headphones on. It was unbelievable. I found that thing, that's what stuck out to me almost the most. Visually, it looked great. I liked the black and white, and I liked the pop of colors, specifically around the lightsabers and all that. And the story was mm-hmm. was cool. I I enjoyed that. It was short. And then I got to the second one, which is like a rock bandy type thing, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jabba's nephew or whatever. Whatever it was. Business. And that's, yeah. you know what? At the end of the day, that's the way I look at these things. And this is the way I hope a lot of people look at them is I think some of these are going to be hit and miss for people. Some people are going to love them and some people aren't going to love them. But that's okay. And I, mm-hmm. it's, it's perfectly fine. And you can turn it off. You can turn it on again or you can do whatever you want. Revisit it with some context put around it. Maybe down the road with some other anime watching and maybe you'll appreciate it at a different way for me it didn't work but hey i'm really happy it's out there because i know a lot of people are enjoying this and there's always going to be that little bit of criticism at one end of the spectrum or the other but i think it's cool to explore different ways of telling stories right it's when stories leapt into the comic book world in a, in a big way when they reset canon or into the young reader or to this to that it gives different people different avenues to access the stories and access the universe, which may eventually lead to them jumping into the films or jumping into Mando or something different. That's what I like about it. it. It's funny that you bring up the rock band episode, because when I watched that one, I was like, this is exactly why they dropped them all on one day. Because <laughs> can you imagine if no. folks had to sit with that one as their second episode for a week, what the discourse would have been like. So not great. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they dropped them all at once and, and yeah, it's all it's all fine. Just let it exist. Exactly. It exists. <laughs> if it's your thing, cool. If not, that's cool too. You get Book of Boba Fett coming up here. You can go watch Bando Season 2 again if you want. Bad Batch, whatever. Else it's yeah. there. Go pick up a comic book, a book. Hey, go grab some Black Series. If that's really... It's all out there. That's what I love about this. It's You can experience this from different avenues and different perspectives too, which is, uh, which is always healthy. I think inside these universes, especially these universes that have been in existence for 50 plus years, 40 years, whatever it's been. Yeah. Yeah. No, as long as you're telling a compelling story and doing good character work, who cares about the continuity? Exactly. Who cares? Luke Skywalker could show up in the next one and have children for all I care. It's like, cool. <laughs> but it's not can't no, matter. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next topic here. Now this is a topic that we're going to try to frame out as best we can. With the caveat that we're not experts in the the legality of copyright and all these type of things. But there was some news that had been thrown out there by The Hollywood Reporter. And this got picked up by every outlet in, in existence covering entertainment stuff. And it was the, the idea that Disney was or had filed lawsuits against former creators or heirs to the creators there. Because they were responding directly to a whole bunch of copyright termination notices that were filed on behalf of those creators by their heirs, by their children, grandchildren, what have you, trying to or seeking actually the return of the rights of a huge swath of Marvel characters back to their respective owners. And this is underneath the U.S. copyright law that gives the ability for heirs or creators, past creators, to seek to reclaim their rights from publishers after a certain amount of time has passed. I think it's like 53 or 56 years to some effect where this statute statute comes into play 
where you can actually file termination notices. And those termination notices, again, like I said, are, are seeking to stop Marvel from using the characters, maybe not explicitly using, but at a minimum co-sharing the ownership and the profits is the big thing, I think, from this. When you're looking at the turnover of some of these characters like Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Black Widow, Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, Falcon, Captain Marvel, Blade, all these characters sound familiar, even for those that don't read the comic books, because they're all the characters that are showing up on either your TV screens or on the big screen. And these are big, big money characters. And the creators of those characters are looking, and their families, are looking to be given what they feel they deserve, given that they were part of the original creation. Now, what Disney, and I guess Marvel via Disney, is suing back for is saying that essentially these characters were created in a work for hire mode where essentially Marvel paid them to create these characters for Marvel. And they're a part specifically with Marvel in the Marvel method. If you want to check that out, there's a Mm -hmm. show actually on Disney plus that explains the Marvel method about this collaborative approach to creating characters where the writers give an outline, the artists take that outline and elaborate on it. And they collaborate across several different creators to create a character but it was all meant and done at the ask of marvel so marvel believes that they do own this now this suing and counter suing isn't something that doesn't have precedence inside of this world because we've seen this before jack kirby's estate settled with marvel a few years ago joe schuster the co-creator of superman there was a lawsuit with all of that in the past and you see their names now showing up on every superman creation and so we see this cycle going with these characters which is probably about 53 years or so after all these characters come into this termination window and so there's this interesting dynamic that's going back and forth because at the end of the day a lot of these characters with stanley creations kirby creations steve ditko for spider-man there's don heck there's there's so many creators in here, very famous creators. And, and like these things can sound, I think, ugly in the media. When you see Disney suing creators of X, Y, and Z, these very important, very big characters. And so I, I find myself erring on the side of, well, maybe they, they probably do deserve <laughs> to be paid out when you're making billions of dollars off of Iron Man films. But even the, the people that are suing Disney and Marvel... They're not, I guess, suing for the right just to take the characters and do whatever they want. It's really for this co-ownership. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's any space where Hawkeye and Thor or Black Widow or whomever disappear from the MCU all of a sudden. I think it's just sharing the profits is what most people are chasing. So this idea that the MCU could end by 2023, I don't that's not a I don't think that's a reality. And I don't think marvel or disney would allow that to happen there would be compensation likely at a court which has been done in the past in the case of jack kirby and his family so any any thoughts on this one i I hope i framed that out okay it's not the easiest thing always i think to understand this and i can see both sides of the argument but i do have a tendency to lean a bit more towards the creator on this one yeah it's a tough one because a lot of those creators were given the raw deal back when these characters mm-hmm. first started becoming popular. Like Schuster and Siegel were infamously ground to dirt by DC and like 
left in a pretty bad way. And like credit to Warner Brothers and DC for after the fact coming to uh, terms and making sure they did right by their family. So like now, because it always was like Superman created by uh, Schuster and Siegel, but now it's Superman under a special arrangement with the Schuster and Siegel families. Mm-hmm. And so what they did is they did employ that co-ownership and they pay like a licensing fee mm. when they use the character. So that's what they did with that one. But the one that really breaks my heart is Bill Finger who co-created Batman and just the way that that quote unquote work for hire deal was, is it ended up Bob Kane getting all the credit for creating that character and Bill Finger, like literally dying penniless kind of thing on a couch. And, um, it ended up being an author who was a fan who ended up fighting and championing for him to get credit, but he really didn't get uh, proper credit for creating the character until BVS came out. So like 75 years after the fact kind of thing. And um, so that's not right. So if that can avoid um, the families of the creators on the Marvel side going through similar type Mm -hmm. hardship, I think it's worth having the conversation and like, you know, Disney's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Like surely there's some kind of arrangement that they can oh, yeah. come up with to, you know, either give them a, a little piece of ownership, which has like a nominal percentage that's paid out depending on how profitable the characters are um, or just some kind of, um you know, even just setting up like benefits and a bursary for some of these mm-hmm. folks, right? Like the the creator of Rocket Raccoon shouldn't have a GoFundMe so he can get his cancer treatments paid for, right? And um, there's a ton of these guys. Like there shouldn't be stuff like the comic book legal defense fund trying to pay for some of these guys to be able to eat and, and whatnot, right? So there's, there needs to be far more equity mm-hmm. in the... In the situation, I, I, I'm i with you in that I don't think there's any scenario in which these characters get yanked away from Disney completely. But when you're that grossly property, uh, profitable, there is a moral imperative mm-hmm. to take care of the people that created this stuff. And like, if, if you're throwing, you know, 50, 75, $100,000 a year at some of these elderly alien creators, like that's nothing to these guys. That's probably the hot dogs that you sell for three hours at one of your parks type yep. of thing. So yeah, I, I think that there's a better way of doing it. Steve Dicko is a unique one because he's been kind of fighting for his ownership of Spider-Man like since the seventies. So I'm curious to see how that one plays out. Cause there's always been a bit of bad blood with him kind of thing. But that whole deal was, I think a, a bit similar to how Bob Kane and Bill Finger went down with uh, Batman mm-hmm. as far as how that went down between him and Stan with Spider-Man. And, and obviously like Stan Lee had his outs with Jack Kirby and whatnot, which is well-documented. So yeah, I, I think there's just uh, sometimes the legalities of these things need to be put aside a bit and you need to just do, do what's right. And especially when one side has the means and, the other side can show that um, either A, harm was done to them or B, that um, they need a hand. And yeah, like I said, there's all these things that shouldn't be in the conversation where fans are funding 
some of these guys in their senior years to be able to buy groceries. Yeah, it's such a tough one because it, and I agree with everything that you said there. And at some point, this turns from, like you said, a legal issue to just a moral issue, right? And doing the right thing. And that's, I think, what it's going to come down to with, and I have faith that hopefully this is what is and how it is resolved is an out-of-court settlement of some sort where Mm -hmm. they're, I guess, they would suspend either their legal rights to the characters for nominal amounts of money or they would become co-creators in a sense and get some sort of dividend from movie profits or figures or something to that effect that likely isn't going to amount to billions of dollars, right? It's, I don't think everyone's asking for this crazy amount of money and maybe they are, I don't know. Maybe they feel they do deserve that. And that is up to them to decide and, and their children and grandchildren and all that. But at some point I think throwing everyone a little bit of uh, extra cash and resolving this in a, an amicable way is going to be the benefit of, everybody <laughs> in these ones oh yeah well, even just to save face really mm-hmm. like i don't know i don't know it, it's not a good look not at all like when you read the headline disney or marvel are suing creators of their entire brand right now it's it's not a good look it's the same thing as disney is counter suing or black widow scarlett johansson is suing Mar. like these are not good looks and and this, it's different maybe when you get into the weeds of it and we don't understand that because we're looking from very much the periphery of these things. But from an optics perspective, Disney slash Marvel have not looked great in the past six months or so. No, no, it hasn't been good. And especially when you're as powerful and profitable mm-hmm. as that company is, right? So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see where this runs out. A lot of the time, well, there'll be some quiet settlement, and we will never hear about this again. I do not imagine there's going to be a lot of flailing about in the media about this one beyond this past week's suit and countersuit and termination notices. My guess is we're probably not going to hear much more about this. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think so either. It just makes sense that they'll figure something out type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and rightfully so. I think that there is a need for this. And this seems to be like, it's been a perpetual problem in the industry forever, but now more so where these characters are the pillars of Hollywood, Mm -hmm. a billion dollar brands and franchises at this point. And that's not going away anytime soon. No, no, just do the right thing and everybody will be happy. Yep. You you can, you'll still make your money. Yeah, it'll be there at the end of the day. Won't even <laughs> notice it off the bottom of your books, I don't think. <laughs> no, probably not. All right, man. Let's talk about another creation here that you are going to experience a little later on this week, and that is Venom Let There Be Carnage. Now, we've talked about the last couple of trailers a few episodes back when they were dropping. Our review is back in the feed. Just go to our website and search Venom. You'll find our review. Now, we haven't been overly favorable, but still maintain an air of optimism as to what Let There Be Carnage could potentially be for Venom and the ever-expanding Sony Marvel character universe or whatever they call it now. The art, I will say, the art and of the promos, the posters, have been really cool. The most recent mm-hmm. one with the this two-faced split of Venom and Carnage, awesome looking. 
Now, the reviews are starting to trickle out, but there still remains a pretty substantial embargo, and we are at this point three days or two days from a Thursday night release of this, and there's no substantial reviews, no Rotten Tomato, no nothing, which usually isn't a great sign. But the few Mm. that have trickled out have shed praise on Tom Hardy and him embracing the role of Eddie Brock. This whole buddy cop Venom Eddie Brock thing is working. It's short. Apparently, it doesn't have a lot of time to flesh things out. It's wild. And really, the way I would sum it up from the few reviews that I read, very short reviews, I will say, it is what it is. It's nothing more. It's nothing less than you expect it to be. So walking into it, well, I will eventually go see this in the theaters, but walking into it, if it's a little better than I expect, or if it's exactly what it is, or if it's a little, nothing is going to surprise me. Like I said, it is going to be what it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how this one shakes out, because really all we've heard is the reactions from the fan screening. Mm-hmm. So there's a few asterisks on that because it's a fan screening. So you, you've probably got to be pretty pretty bought in already to get a ticket in the first place. And then it's a fan screening where Tom Hardy and Andy Serkis are hosting it. So <laughs> that's probably going to give you another little tip towards uh, effusive praise. And then there's rumblings of a post credit scene, which, you know, sometimes these things are able to sell themselves just based on what happens after the credits. Mm-hmm. But we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I I don't know, man. Like, we are less than the day this episode drops, and we're recording it less than two days from <laughs> when <laughs> when it when it gets released in the wild. There is no reviews. Like, it's still embargoed. They're still not letting anything out there. And, you know, you might argue that they're trying to protect things. We've seen a few times where studios, I think Disney's done it quite a few times, where they've actually held off on the post credit scene. And they've mm-hmm. shown critics the film so that they can review it and give their thoughts. But um, they'll just hold back a few little pieces so that uh, things don't get inadvertently spoiled. But... Uh, I don't know, man. Like, so we got the two days. Reviews are still embargoed. And then we have like the Waffles trailer. And I didn't watch the other one, but there's like the nightclub neon bracelets trailer. <laughs> and and like I am not gritty, serious, vicious venom fan guy. Like I like jokey, silly venom. But man, <laughs> it it feels like it's already a bridge too far <laughs> with a lot of this stuff. And then Carnage, Carnage is Carnage. Like, he's a red one. Yeah, he is the most reductive character, I think, in all of Marvel. Like, (laughs) he's the let let there be one note because (laughs) that's all that guy brings. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I love Venom a lot, but uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to the theater on Friday thinking that I'm going to be seeing something that's going to knock my socks off. It is what it is. Like I said, man. (laughs) Yeah. There's going to be carnage. (laughs) Well, Carlos is going to give us, and potentially Troy is going to give us a spoiler free review of Venom. Let there be carnage next week. And we will eventually get to a review of Venom. Let there be carnage. We're still trying to figure out exactly how we're going to do reviews going forward with the shortened windows and, 
theaters up here being a little weird and funny. I guess you need a passport to get into them now, so that might be a little better. But we're not all consistently seeing them, me in particular, seeing them on the weekend of release. And we're trying to make it so that people that have those same reservations or aren't getting to the theaters or waiting for a streaming service drop are able to experience the reviews at the same time. So we're still trying to figure out a new format for all that. So you will get the spoiler free next week. But coming with Venom and the Sony multiverse and No Way Home and this thread that's being picked up later in 2022 with Doctor Strange, potentially Morbius. I don't know what's happening with all of this, but the multiverse has become a big deal. And then he skipped to the other side when we're talking about DC. We've got fandom coming up here in a couple of weeks, October 16th, where that multiverse is going to be expanded in amazing fashion with potentially the first big trailers for The Flash, for what Dwayne The Rock Johnson is doing with Black Adam and this ever-growing universe. But there is this, this air and this common thread. We see this every so often in the film universes where you see a lot of things being mirrored across the aisle. And the multiverse is the flavor of the year or maybe potentially of the next few years. So, Carlos, let's talk about the multiverse. I know you want to bring some to the table here. So I'm actually going to throw the reins over to you, over to Captain America himself, wearing that cap shirt. So let's talk about the multiverse and and what it is you want to uh, have a little discussion on tonight. Well, yeah, we do we do have the multiverse, how things can be the same and or different, as we learned in Loki. Mm-hmm. And much like this podcast where we're recording, and I'm wearing a Captain America shirt, and Tim's got a Batman shirt on, courtesy <laughs> of the Vigilante 1939. So, uh, yeah, we, we might have our very own multiverse of madness unplanned here. But, uh, yeah, I was thinking, what characters so based on what we saw from the way home with the characters from sam raimi's mm-hmm. trilogy and dollars to donuts the amazing spider-man films being brought into the mcu and no way home and what they're going to be doing in that movie and the multiverse of madness I was kind of thinking as a fun uh little exercise what other characters from previous films who have appeared in live action but are not part of the existing MCU or DCEU would you like to see brought forward into um, the established canons for those two respective franchises uh, without um, without being a replacement to an existing character? Mm-hmm. And they have to have existed before. So the easy example for that is Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool to get parachuted into the MCU as is with or without his baggage from uh, the Fox X-Men universe. And so I'll, I'll kick it off. And the one that I thought would be cool for them to do as they massage out all the multiversal shenanigans from whatever happens in The Flash is I would like to see either Michael Caine's or Jeremy Irons' Alfred get paired with Michael Keaton as Michael Keaton's Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, mentors either uh, Sasha Kaye's Supergirl um, or Leslie Grace's Batgirl. Because I think the old man banter between an old Batman 
and then an old Alfred. And <laughs> both Jeremy Irons and Michael Caine's Alfreds have just such a sharp wit, as does Michael Keaton uh, in everything he does. But uh, his Bruce, his Bruce kind of had that edginess to him too. I think these two kind of bickering but grandfatherly old men mentoring one or both of these young ladies in their superhero roles could be something amazing. So that's what I would like to see is to see the multiverse spit out and Alfred, maybe Jeremy Irons. Cause we haven't seen as much of him. Mm-hmm. Although Michael Caine would be a, uh, his wit is just always hilarious and it would be a nice tie to bring Nolan dark Knight movies officially into that multiversal space. Um, have him paired up with, with Keaton's Batman as that as that mentor type character and and through a a bit of a saga of movies and I don't know for me Batman needs an Alfred all the time he does it becomes more and more difficult the older you make your Batman <laughs> so uh, th- that'd be one way to do it I like it man I like the it's it's funny you say that because I didn't really thought that Keaton's Batman potentially might not have an Alfred mm-hmm. and is this gonna be the first Bruce Wayne batman that doesn't have an alfred and is that gonna be bothersome so you found a way to solve that problem (laughs) yeah and i I think it's a a nice natural way to do it without yeah if you're playing with multiversal shenanigans to get him here in the first place might as well bring uh uh, mr pennyworth with him is there has there been a miss on an alfred on a casting on a portrayal because I love them all. Even going back to 66. Oh, yeah. No, Alfred Alfred is always great. Like, even the the fellow that plays him on that Pennyworth show. Like, he's uh, Jack Bannon. Yeah. He, he's he's a riot, that kid. So, yeah, I, I don't think there has been a miss. To be honest, like, he would be incredible as an Alfred if you could figure out some way to get him into <laughs> the movie space uh, with a Bruce Wayne kind of thing. But, once again, that's just playing in that multiverse and he's he's very much not part of a contemporary world if no. you watch that show so <laughs> um yeah yeah no I, I think you're right they've, they've never missed with an alfred interesting all right i'm gonna i'm gonna reach into the marvel universe of course and i'm gonna maybe pluck one of the other low-hanging fruits here now luke cage michael what is it michael coulter coulter yeah i loved him in that role on the Netflix series. And I guess we don't really know if that Netflix universe will ever exist inside of the MCU. Cause I don't think those shows can ever zip over to Disney plus, but like they might be doing with Charlie Cox, maybe in no way home. I'd like to see Luke Cage show up somewhere that exact Luke Cage. Don't even really have to redefine him. But him showing up back in the MCU in some capacity. To me, it, it's an easy one. It's low-hanging fruit. But I think a character like Luke Cage, to me right now, other than maybe Daredevil, he feels it's a big gap there with mm. that character missing from especially this Disney Plus more grounded when you're getting Moon Knight and Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, and and all of these pieces moving into place, Miss Marvel. Luke Cage feels like a character that needs to be integrated into the MCU. And I don't remember exactly when the rights revert, but this feels like a character that that needs to be there. Sweet Christmas. I love that one, man. That's a great idea. And it's, 
you know, Luke's a character who's got a cool backstory, but they did it really well on Netflix. So why not just bring that actor in oh, yeah. as your Luke Cage? And, you know, you can kind of put your own spin on him. And if it's if he's there by virtue of a multiverse, things can be different, but you don't necessarily have to uh, take the time to explain them right away if you don't want to. And you just let the Netflix show kind of fill in the blanks for people mm-hmm. until you want to dive into those, if you do. Or maybe you just do the cool new stuff, right? Because we always run into that problem with origin stories where we, we have to have them, but at the same time you want to just get through them because you want all the cool stuff. Exactly. And you want to see the, the heroes for hire taken form and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can leave Iron yeah, Fist man. back in the multiverse, but <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. Actually, if you're gonna bring multiverse Iron Fist in, just bring Lewis Tan in as the Iron Fist yes. because they wasted him on Netflix. So I think that would be cool because that was one of the big criticisms is that that guy was right there to yeah. cast as <laughs> as Iron Fist, but yet you went with man that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not good. No, and not, not I, good. I think that's a benefit. If you're to open up the, the floodgates with the multiverse, the benefit that you can leverage is the fact that you don't have to necessarily go back and do origin stories. Like, do we need, if you bring Charlie Cox in, if you bring Michael Coulter in to these roles, do you need to go back and do an origin Daredevil? Do you need to go back and do an origin Luke Cage? Probably not. And I'm not saying that you have to pick up the exact threads of what was put down there, but you can build off of that like you're saying from an audience perspective where you could just jump in, like you said, to Heroes for Hire. You can jump into the next great Daredevil story without having to reframe everything or explain where his suit came from or explain his how Luke Cage got his powers or why he's not wearing the crown, the tiara thing. Like That was all already addressed. You can go back and watch this stuff. That's going to be on Netflix forever. But point forward all this stuff. I think that's what's great about the multiverse concept is that effectively inside of spider-man you're gonna get all these characters and everyone's gonna be like cool doc ox here and no one's gonna worry yeah. about it <laughs> exactly exactly and that that was a big part of what inspired all of this so my big one the one i'm probably proudest of is because you know people love or people hate mcu spider-man i have a soft spot for him i think he's great as the spider-man of that world but he's got a shortcoming and i actually like MJ and their riff on the Mary Jane character. So it's not that character. That's the soft spot. And their version of Ned is whatever. Ned Leeds and the Hobgoblin has ever be, always been whatever for me. <laughs> but plucking out of that Sam Raimi universe and because the competition has utterly wasted him, I would love to see them pluck out Joe Manganello's Flash Thompson and have him introduced <laughs> as a fully formed bad MFR Agent Venom. Look like at that. Just bring him in. He is perfect. Zack Snyder has already shown that you put some armor and guns on that guy, and he is automatically incredible. And like Tony Revolori, you're a fantastic actor. Loved you in Grand Budapest Hotel. And I get what they were doing with you in the homecoming series but man you are not the flash thompson that could be agent venom not in a month of sundays but joe manganello coming in as that version of flash agent venomed up i think that could be super baller and i don't know there's hints 
and actually this is not spoiler at all because we got it in the Morbius trailer, but we saw Michael Keaton's mm-hmm. Vulture in the Morbius trailer. So if we are playing with multiversal shenanigans, why not? There's a symbiote that existed and a whole Eddie Brock Venom thing that played out on another world. And uh, you could just kind of dive in, much like they did with the comics, because the comics, nobody kind of knew where the government got the Venom symbiote from. And it was just stuck on to Flash Thompson and he ended up becoming a super cool and endearing character. And yeah, I think they could do some pretty sweet stuff and if he's showing up in some kind of Spider-Versal Venomish crossover or, you know, maybe a, a second one that they do, I think he's great. And Manganello's got a great energy for it. And yes. I think people <laughs> would love him. So yeah, that's mine. I like Joe that Manganiello's one. Flash Thompson. I like that one because it's it's seemingly inconsequential in that Raimi universe, right? Like there's nothing done there. But to pull him over and be like, this is our Eddie Brock? Wow, I really like that. And to have like a multiversal symbiote as well, it's kind of a cool concept that you could play with too. Yeah, and you could do it. And if people like it, like if you do it and he just shows up and you have some cool scenes, cool. But if people love it, then that gives you an opportunity. Like he has this whole life that we haven't seen. And so then you can go back and tell that story yeah. if you want. Like, what was happening in this guy's world before we met him in the MCU? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Now, when when I thought DC, DC was one I struggled with when I was thinking about this. And there seems to be this barrier around the Nolan verse about what you can do with that. Is there anything you can pluck out of that? Or is that so standalone? I know you just talk about Michael Caine there and Alfred, but there's all these Batman. And there's, there's just a small part of me that wants to see all of them <laughs> at some <laughs> point. And Christian Bale coming back to that role in some wild, crazy-ass, I don't know even where you'd stick it because we're already kind of getting that with The Flash, with Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton coming back to the role. But there's, there's a piece of me, and I don't know if there's a comic book out there that exists, but there's a piece of me that wants to see Bale just don that cow one more time. But that universe seems so off limits that having someone like that drop into a movie unsuspectingly would be freaking mind bending. Mm-hmm. I know you'd never do the Joker again, but man, there's something about Cillian that Murphy's universe. Scarecrow, right? Scarecrow, yes, Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow. Come on, I like that. I like that more than Bale right now. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Well, yeah. Well, no, it's all, all, all in the back of yours there, brother. But yeah, no, it, that's a great idea because, like you said, it's a bit of a sacred cow. And I think, think if you let it come play in the sandbox a bit more, like I, it would be probably make that whole trilogy more endearing. Not that it's not beloved as it is, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, you, you take it out of its glass box there and put it with the rest of the toys and just have some fun with it. Why yeah. not? Yeah, and just like skip over to that that universe because there is a there is a I guess a a mechanism with the Flash that you can use that you could show up in that universe, right? And could you pull over from it or or just having the Flash? I don't know if we're bending the rules a little bit here, but just having the Flash movie pass through that universe and you do see what appears to be that Nolan universe in some capacity. Oh, I don't know. That's it. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Just leveraging a bit of that just to be like, was that? I don't know if that was, but was it the Bill universe <laughs> that Flash passed through? 
Man, imagine that in that movie. Oh, yeah, it'd be mind-blowing. Like, and that was one of those things, like, when they did just the Flash traveling through the multiverse, just on the CW itself. Mm-hmm. People were, like, glued to what was happening on the the lights on the sides of the screen as he was running through just because, yeah, that's the candy. That's the candy. Yeah. That's the stuff that people love. Well, that's, the, that's what you can use. Like I was saying before, you have this mechanism now. If you're going to open Pandora's box, you might as well open the whole damn thing. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, and as long as you have some neat stories to tell, why not, mm-hmm. right? And you could probably rescue a few characters that weren't given a fair shot or uh, actors that, you know, probably didn't get enough screen time in the movies that they were in and maybe you can give them some new life and off you go. So cool. Is there is there the only other one that I was thinking that kind of hung out there, but I couldn't think of anyone that I would want to see jump over from that Fox X-Men universe. You know, the people you talk about are your, is it James McAvoy and Fassbender? Is it Ian McKelm and Patrick Stewart? Like, do you pull over Magneto and Professor X just for that moment in time? But we've seen that kind of with Days of Future Past, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, they make that connection. So, and I don't know how valuable that would be or how much I actually would want to see that. And none of the X-Men, like even Hugh Jackman, I think would be cool to see. But there's part of me that's holding back on that because I think to myself, like, I don't want to see them redo that. I don't I don't want them to pull from that universe in the same way that you could pull some of these other or have these these kind of cool nods to that. We've seen that kind of in WandaVision a little bit with mm-hmm. Pietro. And I don't, I don't know. Is there anything from the existing X-Men that you would want to see pulled over? No. <laughs> no. Like, I, I liked it well. I loved it well enough. But like you said, it's kind of run its course and... I don't know. It feels, it almost feels better being a self-contained thing Mm -hmm. where you've had, you've had two generations of these characters literally. And then you had like the crossover movie with days of future past. But um, yeah, you know, like I really liked what they were doing with first class, but it kind of fizzled with apocalypse and then um, dark Phoenix had its legs cut out from under it. So that one kind of failed and didn't really advance the characters. And then that original cast, I don't know. They they've had they've had a good run. So great run, like a twenty plus yeah. year run. <laughs> yeah, I think it's time to put it to bed. And like as much as I love McAvoy and Fassbender, I think to do the X Men justice, just started scorched earth and mm-hmm. you know pick your direction for it and just build. Yeah, just build. And I that's probably one of the things I'm the most excited to see them do in the MCU is to see how they build out their X Men mm-hmm. and give us that story. Mm-hmm. Anything from What If? You would pull over? Shoot. Definitely yeah, Captain Carter, for sure. Oh, see, and for me, it's uh, Eric Killmonger. Yeah, I just watched that episode. Yeah, I, I loved what they did there. And as as much as I embraced how that character came to an end in Black Panther, that sold me on him coming back in some capacity and having a, a whole new role and a whole new life. So... Yeah, Killmonger is is probably the big one for me. Mm-hmm. Where now it's easy; you don't have to write a big story around it. It's just like, you know, just multiverse. Multiverse. Killmonger. Well, they've already laid the groundwork for it, right? <laughs> and the character has a similar similar vein to him, right? Like his story isn't wildly different. It's the same story. He's like an inevitable villain, right? Yeah. Or inevitable quote unquote villain. I will say, because in his own eyes, he's not a villain, which just makes him an awesome villain. 
Yeah, no, he's great. He's great, and yeah, you could just use that version of Killmonger, and off you go. Yeah, well, it's it's all it's been stated as technically multiverse canon, right? And so all this stuff exists now, and you can pluck from it where you want. <laughs> yeah, I think the the term multiverse canon is an oxymoron. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But they did the interesting thing about about the multiverse and and this what if show in particular and we're gonna do a concluding episode here in a few weeks once we get to the end i believe it's nine episodes um the 10th episode got cut but there is they've put a mechanism a kind of a something in there in that doctor strange episode where it's this like inevitable point in time where something always happens and that is their get out of jail free card with oh you can just bring back this like this character you know just bring back this and do what have you. I guess technically you go back in time further and pluck someone, but there seems to be this like inevitability in some pieces. I can't remember the exact term they use. Fixed points or yeah, whatever, something. Yeah, like that, fixed point or yeah. something in the universe where this always has to happen and it happens in different ways. And so I kind of like that episode for that specific moment that they do make it clear that there is going to be some rules in the multiverse, but it's going to be clamping down because we just threw out a whole bunch here. And I'm sure there's other ones. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say about the multiverse. Who would you pull over? Um, do you got any last ones here before we move over to our, our last segment for this week? No, I, I'm actually, I, I want to just leave it out for the listeners awesome. there and uh, everybody else. Yeah, let us know what, what twists and just keep the rules in mind. Or you don't have to. Just, yeah, what twists and how would you, how would you tell the story? Because that's almost the the more interesting part of mm-hmm. it. What What's your story you're going to you're going to spin this around with whoever you're bringing into the multiverse. Wicked. Wicked. I love those, uh, those little conversations that we have from time to time that deviate away from the more structured news. And we get to have a, a cool discussion. And now we get to go over to some plastic man with, uh, with our weekend nerd. All right, my dude, what did you get up to this week? We've, we've been chronicling, for 289 episodes, what we've picked up each and every week, what we've read, what we've watched. And I found the intensity of the plastic pickups over the last month or so has picked up to a level not seen since 2015, at least for Troy and I. This is an intense time to be a collector, but also a freaking incredible time to be a collector. I can see, literally, guys, as I podcast, I can see shelves of McFarlane's behind Carlos, boxed and (laughs) unboxed. And I know the missus must just love that, and I do apologize. But that that bug has gotten back at me in so many different series with the Black Series and all these new avenues of collecting. But, Carlos, I got to hear what what you got up to. Was it... uh, equally as intense week for you as we've seen over the past month or so ever since really that big playstation drop (laughs) yeah man so i gotta tell you like like you said with troy and yourself buying all this plastic and going back to those 2015 levels you must put something into the universe because like literally sunday rolls around and i was kind of thinking like yeah my weekend nerd it was pretty low-key and I had like I had this segment kind of mapped out in my mind's eye because I was going to talk about um, over the course of the week, every morning, my daughter, um, either before or after school, she'd pull out one of the Spider-Man retro figs that I had talked about last week that I'd picked up. And 
we'd crack it open and put it through its paces and I put a shelf up in my office for them. And, um, there's been actually a few pictures on my Twitter and whatnot, if you want to check them out, but, uh, yeah, I've been putting the figures up and just having some fun with that. And then that unboxing inspired her to pull a few of her Marvel legends out of the box. So we unboxed the spider verse guys and whatnot. And so that was what I was going to talk about on my weekend nerd was no new pickups, just enjoying what I have, you know, popping that smoke on Mysterio and giving him the funky poses <laughs> and breaking out the risers to get the goblin a bit higher than anybody else and um, making fun of my kids because their uh, Marvel Legends figures don't come with stands like the McFarlands and they're always falling over. <laughs> so, yeah, I was all I was all set. And then, you know, I had to go grocery shopping on Monday and I'm in that figure aisle and the Walmart had the Justice League Batman, but the un- unmasked Ooh. portrait. So with the Bruce Wayne portrait on it. And as I talked about on here before, like the Justice League McFarlane Batman figure is of all the Batmans that he's made. It's actually one of my favorites. Like, I think it's just the coolest, the way it's engineered with the tactical suit and whatnot. It's just a super fun figure to play with, play with it ad nauseum. And so I was like, man, this unmasked Bruce Wayne Batman figure, I think there's something in there, but it's got this horrible paint job on the face and you just can't see Affleck in there. And I was like, I wonder if I could mess with it and bring it out. And the, the <laughs> wheels are kind of turning. And so I'm like, ah. And then I don't know, man. Like, I swear, like, Troy came and he possessed my body because I ended up grabbing him and then I'm rooting through and I find an Aquaman. And this is like the Aquaman is much like the Yavin Ceremony Luke, where <laughs> there's a spectrum of face sculpts where some yes. of them are horrible and then some of them are like really, really good. And so I found one and it was really good and it looked like Momoa. And I was like, yeah, I could just add some blonde highlights and like. I got to buy this one because who knows if I'll find another one with a really good face. And if I'm buying Aquaman, then I should just buy this Bruce. So then I got the Bruce and the Aquaman. And then I was like, well, if I'm doing Zack Snyder's Justice League, I'm going to need my own Wonder Woman because I can't steal my wife's. And there's only one left. (laughs) And the head sculpt on this one is really good. And the figures are a little bit cheaper at the store. So I was like, shoot, I'm just going to buy Wonder Woman too. So I ended up going with the... (laughs) Batman, the Aquaman, and the Wonder Woman, and buying these three bloody figures. And I had, and like, I was still so unsure that I had the lady put them on a separate receipt so that it was like easy enough to go through. And so I leave and I needed to get some limes, and the store didn't have any limes. So I just stopped at the Walmart that's actually closer to my house. And I was like, shit, ah, yeah, I might as well just dip into the figures. <laughs> you got to dip. Come on. So I dipped and took a look, and for the first time in forever, I find Black Series in the wild, and they must have just opened a case because I find the uh, OT or the episode four Luke and Leia, but then two Darth Revans and two clone troopers from the 501st. So I was like, shoot, well, might as well Here we buy these for Canadian dollars. <laughs> and so I grabbed my daughter, the two clone troopers. And uh, my intention to have no plastic this week ended up uh, coming home on the Monday with five figures. <laughs> <laughs> five figures. And, 
Yeah, but ah, you know what? It, it's all good. And then, as has been chronicled on Twitter, I ended up cracking that Bruce open, and yeah, I ended up finding like a really good face sculpt in that figure. So, yeah, you can take a look and. I ended up stripping away a ton of the paint and Affleck's face kind of emerges from this thing. Yeah, it's very and cool. And then, yeah, I threw a beard on him, put in some the gray highlights, put some brown in his hair, and it, it actually, it looks significantly better, at least in my opinion, than what the figure figure was. And yeah, and shout out, I, I don't even know who the fella is, but there's a, a figure painter in China that uh, he takes action action figures off the shelf strips them completely and repaints them and there was a luke skywalker head and i sent it, the picture of it to troy and he's like shoot is that the hot toys and it was just a black series figure that this guy had stripped and repainted oh yeah and my daughter had found him actually he had stripped the siri figure um for mcfarlane and he, he repainted it and it looked exactly like the video game model and just in the comments, somebody was asking him, um, like if it was 3D printed or what kind of putty he used, and he's like, "Nope, it's just just stripped bare bones, and then I just repainted." He's like, "With a lot of the figures, there's actually a good sculpt under all this paint, but just the way the the factory churns out the the figures, it gets lost in the in the translation." So, yeah, I I am nowhere. I'm not even fit to pick up that man's brushes and clean them for him. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy with how the Afflicks turn it out. So yeah, it looks really cool yeah. for the images I've seen. It looks awesome. Especially even the addition of the beard makes a big difference on that figure. Yeah. Thanks man. Like, it was, it was interesting because I started stripping this paint and then I thought I'd stripped like way too much. Cause I took it actually right down to the wood. Like it was just like black plastic kind of thing and then built it back up. The only thing I didn't mess with was the eyes. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I can I can get cocky, but I, I, I know these hands aren't that steady anymore. It takes a certain amount of dexterity to get in there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was my week in plastic and painting. It, it seems to always happen that way where it's like, oh, shoot, man, what am I going to talk about on, on our week in nerd? And it's, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about on the Monday. I love the Monday runs, too, because it's very common that we get images from Carlos saying, do you need this? Do you need this? And so it's almost kind of my my start of the week hunt, and I get to frame out exactly what the end of the week is going to look like because I have a good picture in my head. And you have a tendency to 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 frequent the Walmart near my house, <laughs> which is nice mm -hmm. too. Yeah, at least it's, yeah, it's nice and close for you if there's something. Well, or I can just always grab it for you. Yeah, but it's cool to deliver. see the the Black Series. That was the archive, the le most recent archive, and I sent you a picture of the upgrade they have actually done on that Leia from the original release of that layer, it's night and day. <laughs> like the, yeah, like a, that original layer looks like a Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Are you going to grab that one then? I probably will. Um, I might see if I can find it on like a Gigi open box for half the, I don't want to pay whatever it was, $35 for those figures or 34. Not if I, I have basically everything except for the head sculpt and the figure that I have behind me. And so I'm not willing to pay full price, but eventually I will upgrade that figure. I think. Well, yeah, and it was it was funny because my daughter's like, I can't believe you bought all the, like all three of the Justice League figures, and um, she's like, and you bought yourself another Wonder Woman. I was like, well, in fairness, Wonder Woman cost me five bucks compared to what your two yeah. clone troopers cost me. So, <laughs> very true. <laughs> it's like you got that Wonder Woman for free when you compare the the figures to the uh, yeah. to McFarland to the Hasbro prices right now. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which means it's just going to be a bit more picky and choosy because that's exactly what I'm what I'm doing right now. And I know every week I come back and I talk about the Star Wars Renaissance in my life. And this week it was stoked on by a watching of Empire Strikes Back and Episode One: Phantom Menace. Two of my favorites. I will defend Phantom Menace, flaws and all, until the day that I die. But I love that film. I have this nostalgic connection to it. And my family, for whatever reason, two nights this past week, all fell asleep way before normal, including my wife. And so I was just puttering around by myself down in the basement one night and also upstairs one night. And I just popped those on in the background. And it just really got me thinking about the Black Series again. I'd taken the year (laughs) off for the most part. And they've come back (laughs) in a major way in my life with the big opening and now i'm going up to marty's every week and buying half price figures he's got all these open box like in box but have previously been open figures that he's fairly priced out at about twenty dollars about two-thirds the original cost and i managed to pick up a a lando in his skiff guard disguise which mm-hmm. was a figure i've never even seen on the pegs it's pretty hard to get I oh, picked, that's cool i also picked up a an r2d2 and what was the last figure I picked up? Oh, a Jawa. So oh, sweet. figures that I technically own on those vintage card backs, but I decided the New Hope ones, the first line of those, I'm going to keep in package. They're kind of packed away. But when I'm getting these figures at these prices, and especially for figures that haven't been swinging from the pegs and we'll never see swing from the pegs again in those red card backs, you might get them in an archive release down the road but I'm still not going to get them for $20 a piece. And that's probably what I would pay for them on Kijiji. So I got three figs for, for 60 bucks there at nicely filling out this OT black series focus that I have right now. And I got to say, I'm, I'm still in the hunt. He had a whole bunch more. There some rebel troopers that I might go back and grab. But at that price point, I'm like, okay, I, I sat on these things for six months, some of them a year, if not more. And now I'm getting them for way less than retail. I can't turn it down, especially when I'm having this this, this love of, of Star Wars again. And you know where the Black Series sit at Marty's. You know what's directly yeah. behind it, right? The power of the Force. <laughs> yes. So, yes. yes. I did a little about face, and I picked myself up uh, an Emperor's Royal Guard in that beautiful red armor. And I needed that pop on the power of the Force shelf as I continue to to blow the doors open on that collection. But it's so funny at his place because you go with the front figure. There's there's the Emperor's Royal Guard for 12 bucks. You go back a few pegs, it's there for $8. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, I bought the $8 one. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you got you to gotta dig. You got to dig. So and then, and then I came back here, and I looked up at my, my Black Series shelf. I said, this needs a restack. I need to get up and clean everything. And I ended up building small risers, one half inch tall risers, three of them across my Black Series shelf so that I could prop up the figures that, because I have like a shelf that's about 10 inches deep. And so once you get that far back, and it's quite raised, once you get that far back in the figures, you start to lose the, the line of sight to a whole bunch of figures. And you can't really appreciate as much what's going on there. And so I popped these risers in and it gives this like awesome look to the shelf. Like even the depth and dynamic to it is, is crazy. Same figures, same shelf, just a couple risers. And not even, like I said, not even big ones, not, you know, multi-tiered risers, just a single riser across the back. And it gives this 
wicked look to to a black series shelf. I'll throw some some images up and yeah, it's that that was me. It wasn't a heavy heavy or overly intense week. Those are coming because I I did I did hunt in other ways on eBay. But uh, I'll chronicle those <laughs> once they arrive. I got another couple of weeks and I got two eBay packages arriving and two NECA Turtles figures arriving here within the next two to three weeks. So the hunt did continue, but I won't talk about stuff until I have it in hand and can talk. So it was it was really just plastic or the Black Series for me filling in that plastic void. And uh, nothing too crazy, but still enjoying and loving going back and, uh, and filling in these gaps for for star wars yeah man that's amazing and that's cool that there's all these like old figures must have like that guy's always buying collections and whatnot so yeah he clearly bought a collection of open box figures and he's just taped them and at first i was like "Ah, i don't really know why this is twenty dollars but i'm just gonna buy it and when i got home i was like oh i can see where the original tape was cut and it's what's cool about marty which i always love about him is always super honest about figures like that i had bought one of the back to the future neca figures from him and i had been in there a week or two before and i opened one and the marty head had popped off and it like all these figures they're head swap figures right so the head just popped off in the package and he had gone in and popped the head back on but then he cut the price of that figure in half because he had opened it and Hmm. i bought it because i was like my dad's gonna take it out and display it and so this is one of the ones i bought for my dad because he doesn't care if it's mint in box, right? He kept the box and displayed the figure in front. And so I was like, this is a win-win for, for me. And he does the same thing with these black series figures, which is really cool. Cause I don't, I don't know if a, a lot of places would do that. No, you'd be paying like eBay price. Exactly. Most other places. Exactly. So yeah, be mindful and, uh, and always support your local. I know, I know we talk about Marty's a lot on here. This is this weird kind of nebulous comic book shop that seemingly has everything all of the time. I don't know how he keeps his stock up like that. And he has his basement full of stuff too. That he just periodically brings up and restocks the power of the force for me. But uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a good spot, man. I, I love the hunt in there, except it's getting super expensive for me with the kids <laughs> dipping into all these different lines and stuff like that too. Now got to get them over here. Babysitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. And I can, I can fund that Black Series <laughs> figures. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that about wraps it up for our Weekend Nerd. And that wraps it up for this podcast episode. We had a lot of fun. We got through a lot of content there. And we're coming right in on time. And so we are going to be coming back at you guys next week. Of course, Carlos will have a bit, of, bit to say about Venom. And uh, we'll see what the world of nerd brings us and puts on our plate. Shang-Chi review is coming. It will likely follow that Disney Plus drop. We've got some collaborations coming up here in October with our friends over at Vigilant 1939. We've got some big releases within November, within December. So it's going to be a very, very intense end of the year. And we always like to wrap up the year with our look back episode. And then the first of next year, looking forward as to what 2022 has to offer. But we got to get through 21 first year. And like we've we said over the last couple of weeks, whether it is Star Wars, Marvel, DC, or beyond as we talked about with netflix today there is so much for us to consume as a fandom and speaking of which fandom it's coming october 16th we've got some collaborations planned you're going to see us talking about that over the next coming weeks as we build into that epic event and so much more guys so much more to talk about but 
I guess I will say, if you would like to be a bigger part of the show, you can always email us at nerdroom.gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real, and it's over on Instagram. You can find everything that we are collecting over there at the NerdRM. So check that out. And Twitter, that is where we like to do our discussions. If you got some thoughts you want to drop in from the multiverse discussion, throw them at us on Twitter. We'd love to discuss those with you. Our handles are at the end of the episode so with all that behind us another week down and done and more to look forward to with all that being said for the nerd room i'm tim and i'm batman and we will see you guys next week and thank you so much for entering the nerd room this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy sanjay and carlos on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 sanjabi and cdn caped crusade r for more content from The Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.